As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. All right, church, let us turn to Hebrews 11.1 1 and Romans 8.8. 8. Hebrews 11.1 1 and Romans 8.8, 8. our subject has been on the subject of faith, our title, Faith Still Works, always has worked, always will work, until the day faith is no longer needed. When we're in a city known as New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven onto a regenerated earth, and we dwell in the presence of God. But until such day, as long as we are in this three-dimensional earthly realm, we as the church, we as believers, must know what faith is, must understand what faith is. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8. 8. These are two locations. If you have it, say I have it. We are going to look at Hebrews 11.6 first. So if you're there, let's read together. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, let us read verse six again, but only up until the word him. Let us read together. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Can we all agree that the him being referred to in this verse is God? Then let us read this one more time and exchange the word him for God. And let's read. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible, not possible, to please God. Let's go over and look at Romans 8.8. 8. Romans 8, 8, and let's read together. Ready, read. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ah, so we find something interesting here, don't we? Romans tells us what? Those in the flesh cannot please God. Not those in the flesh won't please God. Those in the flesh can not. It is an impossibility to please God in the flesh. Yet Hebrew says what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I come to the conclusion then that when I'm in faith, I am not in the what? Flesh. So what kind of principle are we dealing with here? A spiritual principle. What kind of law? Romans 3.27 lets us know that faith is a law. So we're dealing with the law of faith here. Laws can be broken. And when laws are broken, there will be consequences to pay. So faith is a law. It's a spiritual law. We wanted to know what faith is. We wanted to know how faith comes. We saw in Scripture that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But we also found in Hebrews 4.2 that, yes, even though some heard the word, some profited. When they heard the word, others did not mix what they heard with faith and therefore it didn't profit them. 
What is faith? Well, the concordance will tell you that it's belief. If you look carefully, you see that it's the verb tense. So therefore, that means what? Action is required. We see when we go to the gospel and we look at the life of Jesus, we get an accurate definition. He gives us an accurate presentation of what faith is. And and we find out that bottom line, faith is acting on what you believe. Now, as Christians, we believe the word of God. Therefore, for us, faith is acting on the word of God. Not simply just believing. Believing is good. But it doesn't get you across the finish line. You must act on what you believe. Because we see everyone in scripture between Mark and Matthew and Luke acting on what they believe. They didn't just believe something, but they acted on it. The woman with the issue of blood didn't just believe if she touched the hem of his garment. She actually touched it. Jairus didn't just believe that Jesus could raise his daughter from the dead. He actually went to find him to let him know. My daughter just died, but if you come lay your hands on her, she'll live. The lepers, we like the lepers. The lepers didn't just believe. No, 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 Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. They turned right around and went. And as they went, they were healed. One came back and glorified God. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. So we see that there are actions. Action is required. Acting on what I believe. That is what faith is. Now we uh, came to another conclusion, established a fact that I cannot be in faith and sin at the same time. Because with faith comes assurance and confidence. With sin comes guilt and condemnation. They cannot coexist. So in talking about sin, we highlighted some four faith killers. Because when I'm in one of these faith killers, I'm in sin. And I'm not in faith. What were they? Worry, doubt, unbelief, fear. If I'm in worry, I'm not in faith. If I'm in doubt, I'm not in faith. If I'm in unbelief, I'm not in faith. If I'm operating in fear, the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. If I'm in fear, I'm not in faith. Jesus said, take no thought. Do not worry about your life. He says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart. He'll have what he says. Disciples wanted to know why they could not cast the demon out. Jesus said, because of your unbelief. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If I'm in faith, I'm, I, can't, I can't be worrying. If I'm a person of faith, a man and woman of faith, I'm, I'm not a doubter. I hold fast to the confession of my hope without wavering. I'm a believer, not an unbeliever. Operate in the spirit of faith, not a spirit of fear. We left off with the person of Jesus Christ. And I said that our root and our foundation, our core, is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Our faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ and not in the principle. When our faith is in the person, we understand why the principle works. Our root, our foundation, our core is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. Our faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ 
not the principle. When our faith is in the person, we understand why the principle works. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto who? I am looking unto Jesus. I'm not looking unto man. I'm not looking unto circumstances. I am looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And that's who I'm looking unto and no one else. First Corinthians, Paul tells us, church, do not let your faith be in the wisdom of men. I don't care how good I teach, if I teach good. Doesn't matter. Do not put your faith in me. I have just as much power as you. Don't put your faith in me. Paul said, do not let your faith be in the wisdom of men, but in the what? Power of God. That's where your faith better be. Your faith better be in God. God is your source. I'm not your source. The church is not your source. God is your source. You are looking into Jesus. Don't you look on anybody else but Jesus. Because anybody else will let you down, I guarantee you. Look unto Jesus. See, in Peter, we saw a man was, I mean, in, in Peter, in Acts, we saw that a man was healed. But an interesting statement was made. It said... Through the name of Jesus, through faith in the name of Jesus. My faith must be in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul says something very uh, similar to what he tells us in Romans 1.17 and 2 Corinthians 5.7, where he says we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. He says the just shall live by faith. But in Galatians 2.20, he says it like this. He says, he says, I no longer live that life. That's not the life that I live anymore. I now live by faith in the Son of Man. I now live by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Paul said. So Paul shows us where our faith should be. In the person of Jesus Christ. Now, my faith is in Jesus Christ. Got some requests. Got some needs. Got some desires, some petitions. Who am I that I have the right to have my prayers answered? Who are you? Do you know who you are? All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's find out what we is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. When you have it, say, I have it. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Why do I have the right to be confident? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin... To be sin for us, that we might become, that we might have the opportunity to receive, that we might become the righteousness of God. This verse just said that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that I might become God's righteousness. 
I am his righteousness. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you become God's righteousness. It has nothing to do with what you did. Saints, you cannot become any more righteous than you became when you entered into the kingdom of God. Righteousness does not increase. You do not become more righteous. You do not lose your righteousness. You don't live righteous. Righteousness is what you are. It is what God made you. You are the just, the declared righteous. You had nothing to do with it. All you did was receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you became God's righteousness. So now, when you become God's righteousness, here's what you now have access to. That's what we're about to get into. Because you now have access to some things. All right, let's look at this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. If you want to know why good things happen to you, if you want to know why you have a right to have good things happen to you, you're God's righteousness. It's who you are. And Christians need to know that. I am the righteousness of God. All right, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have what? Access. We have what? Access. We have what? Access. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. So when people on the outside are looking in and they see things happening for you that just don't make sense. That's the favor of God resting upon you, the unmerited favor of God, the grace of God in which you stand. You have access by faith into that. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Because not only do we have access. Ah, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, are you there? Amen. All right, look at verse 6. It just says, <clears throat> so we, we can know what we're talking about here. Verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow what? Heirs. All right? Everyone, you're an heir. You're an heir. So that should mean something to you. See, you, you've inherited something. It must be good if it has anything to do with God. You're an heir. All right, it says what? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. All right, jump down to verse 11. It says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have what? Boldness and what? Access with what? Confidence through faith in him. Boldness, access, confidence, boldness, access, confidence, boldness, access, confidence. I don't care what you say about me. 
I, I, I don't care if you don't like the way that I talk, the way I relay things. If you think I'm arrogant, fine. You're just going to have to think that because right here it says that I have boldness and access with confidence. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4. People trying to become righteous and become worthy. You're not worthy. So I'm trying to, so I'm trying to work on that. You can't work that out. Because it has nothing to do with you. See, God is a God of justice, mercy, and grace. See, what's justice? When you get what you deserve. What's mercy? When you don't get what you do deserve. But what's grace? When you get what you don't deserve. We didn't deserve it. We're not saved by works. There aren't enough things, there aren't enough good deeds that you can do to receive salvation. So it's by grace that we are saved. So, so because of that, Hebrews 4.16 says what? Let us therefore come how? Boldly. How? Boldly. How? Boldly to the throne of grace. I don't have to get on my knees and beg and plead and cry. He said I can come before the throne of grace boldly. Boldness, access, confidence. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why you have the right to be confident. You're God's righteousness. You have access. You have access to the throne of grace. And you can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. Seems like this faith thing, seems like the Old Testament saints figured this one out. The book of Habakkuk 2.4, you don't have to go there. But it says the just shall live by his faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. Let's look at a good example. You're all familiar with Abraham. Abraham's the father of faith. How do we know that? Well, you know, the Bible says in Galatians that if you're Christ, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. All right. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our what? Father, has found according to the flesh? It's a very good question. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Oh, did you get that? If Abraham was justified by works, he'd have something to brag about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. 
Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised also or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Now, the whole circumcision thing is because God established a principle. He established a law that they were to be, that, that, uh, that the children of Israel were to be circumcised. Now, before Abraham was circumcised, God accounted righteousness to him. So, in other words, he didn't receive his righteousness because of works. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to, who, to those who, are, who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith, of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope and hope believes so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Here's what I want you to see here in verse 19. It says, and not being what? Weak in faith. The scripture says that he wasn't weak in faith, which means it's possible to be weak in faith. He says that not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's 100, Sarah's 90. God says, you're going to have a child. Instead of going, that's impossible, I'm too old. Abraham says, okay. Says he didn't waver, he didn't doubt at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened or strong in faith. Giving glory to God, uh uh-oh, here's that word coming up, and being fully what? Convinced or persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, before salvation was even in the picture, before Jesus Christ had even shown up, Abraham's walking by faith and not by sight. We weren't even, those outside of the church, the church didn't even show up. Till Acts, Paul told the church we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet right here we have people, individuals, before the church was ever established, walking by faith and not by sight. In a time where it was required to, to, that justification was by works, where justification was by doing the law. Here's a man justified by simply believing. Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11.
Hebrews chapter 11, which many call the Faith Hall of Fame. All right. Let's start with verse 3. It says, Hebrews 11, 3 says, By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you understand what you just read? In other words, outside of faith, you can't understand how the worlds were framed. You can't comprehend it. Because it doesn't make sense. See, remember what we're talking about now. We're talking about things that don't make logical sense. They don't make logical sense, and the devil wants to make sure that you remain for the rest of your life, from the beginning of your days to the end of your days, that you stay in the sense realm, that you're led by your senses. When there are times in scriptures that God requires you to go beyond the realm of the senses. You've got to step in faith. And all you're doing is being like your father. Because we just read that God calls those things that do not exist... As though they did. Alright. Look at verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Look here in verse 7. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Why would you build a boat and it's never rained? Noah, that doesn't make sense. But you got two options. You can go with what the sense world tells you or with what God tells you. Now, it never rained in the history of the world. God says, you're going to build a boat, I'm going to flood this place. Noah said, okay, I'm going to build the boat. And people laughed at him. People watched him building the boat, and they laughed and they mocked. Said he was crazy. And then they died. How unfortunate. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You guys got to get an understanding of this. We're not talking about things that God is making someone do. God didn't make Noah build the boat. He told him to do it and Noah decided to be obedient to the word of God. If it was not for Noah's obedience, we would not be here. Because up until that point, all mankind was a result of Adam and Eve. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. That's what he told Adam. But then when he brought the floodwaters on the earth, if it wasn't for Noah and his family, mankind would cease to exist. Noah moved with godly fear. And because of his obedience, he was able to get off that boat. And God told Noah the same thing he told Adam, be fruitful and Multiply. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. It says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
He didn't know where he was going, but God said, go, and he went. We have to get into that place, into that position where our total trust and reliance is in God. If he says go, we go. We don't look for details. He says go, I'm going. Why, God? Because you said so. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off or assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then if we continue on and read in this chapter, you see people doing things by faith. Not because it made sense, but by faith. Oh, gosh, if we could just get an understanding. All right, now. Let's go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Let's look at something here. Went over this briefly at Thursday night Bible study, but we can look more uh, deeper into it to more detail. Mark 11. Let's start with. Mm, let's start with verse 20. This is now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, what? Have faith in God. Remember, we talked about that now. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Not having my faith in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, living by faith in the Son of God. So Jesus says, have faith in God. But, let's give the most accurate interpretation of what Jesus was actually saying. Literally, Jesus was saying, have the faith of God. Or, the God kind of faith. Well, what is the God kind of faith? Well, let's find out. Look at verse 23. For assuredly, Jesus is speaking. He says, I say to you, whoever what says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Well, if I go with the God kind of faith, there's no way doubt could be in my heart. 
Okay, so let's read it without that statement. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. Bottom line, you will have what you say. Now, where would we get that from? Where would we get the ability to have what we say from? Where would we find that? You can only find that in God. Here's the God kind of faith. Proverbs 18, 21 says what? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There is power in your tongue. Oh, gosh. God can do everything, can he? He can do whatever he wants at any given time because he's God. Don't you realize that according to his ability, God could have created the heavens and the earth in an instant just by thinking it? Why? Because he's God. He's omnipotent. He has all power. Of all the ways God could create the heavens and the earth by thinking it, by snapping his fingers, by waving his hands, of all the ways God could have created the heavens and the earth, he shows us that his order is by speaking. And who was he talking to? Wasn't nobody else there. He was talking to himself. When did light show up? When he said it. Matter of fact, everything showed up after he first what? Said it. God said something and what God said came to pass. You are made in his image according to his likeness. So as far as your world is concerned, if you want things to go a certain way, say it. Speak it. It's biblically based. He said life's in the power of the tongue. Speak life and you'll have life. You speak death, you're going to have death. Why? You're made like God. If God spoke death, he'd have death. But he speaks life, so he gets life. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, you're made just like God. And what did Jesus say? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. If you believe, you'll have those things which you said. You're like God. I didn't say you were God, but you're like him. You're like God. Turn to Psalm 82. Are you at the 82nd Psalm? Yes. 82nd Psalm. Let's look at verse 1. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. So that right there tells you that there are other gods. It's just that those gods aren't God. It says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. 
Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not understand, nor do they, un they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Verse 6. I said, you are gods. And all of you are children of the Most High. Now, God is talking to man when he said that. But maybe that's a little too heavy for you. Maybe you wouldn't necessarily be able to receive if I said you're a little God. That might be a bit much. Little God. Key word is little. Because you're not God. But without a shadow of a doubt, Scripture confirms that I'm like God. I'm like him. I'm made in his image according to his likeness. So I'm like God. Now I know that I'm not God based on this verse because verse 7 says, but you shall die like men. So that, that confirms that even though I'm made in his image according to his likeness, I am not infinite. All right. Now stay in Psalm. Look at the eighth Psalm. Psalm 8. All right, Psalm 8, let's look at verse 4. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? It says, You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. It says, You've made him a little lower than the what? Angels. It says, You've made him a little lower than the what? Angels. A little lower than the what? Angels. Well, you know, that sounds fine and everything, but the problem with this verse here is this. Is that this is the only place in Scripture <clears throat> where the word angels is translated Elohim. So, in actuality, the verse reads that I've been made a little lower than Elohim. And Elohim means supreme God. You've been made a little lower than God. See, all that boldness and that access and that confidence, this is why you have it. Mankind is God's crowning achievement. We've been made a little lower than Elohim. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. When you have it, say, I have it. Hmm. All right, look here. See, we're just going through the scriptures and finding out who we are. That's all we're doing. See, whatever the word calls you, you need to believe that. 
And if God calls you that, then that's how you should act. So if God says that you have boldness, access with confidence, then that's how you should carry yourselves. As people of boldness and people of confidence. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 13 says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. Watch this now. It says, he who is the blessed and only. Stop right there. The verse says that he is the blessed and only. Only, which means there aren't any other ones. Whatever I'm about to read after the word only, Jesus is the only. But watch what it says. He who is the blessed and only potentate. Then it says king of kings and lord of lords. Now why doesn't it say potentate of potentates, king of kings and lord of lords? Well, it says blessed and only potentate because God always reminds us who he is and where we stand in comparison to him. The blessed and only potentate lets us know God is sovereign. Sovereign God, there is no other sovereign God. But then right after that, he says, okay, now here's where you come in. King of kings, Lord of lords. Got to pay attention to those capital letters. Look at the capital letters. There's a big K and then there's a little K. There's a big L and then there's a little L. You are kings and you are lords. I didn't say you were the king <laughs> and the lord because you're not that. But you are a king and you are a lord because he made us that way. I right, look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, And from, Christ, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, it says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us what? Kings and priests. Stay in Revelation. Look at chapter 5. Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us what? Kings and priests to our God, and we shall do what? Reign. The Bible just called you a king. I didn't call you that. The Bible just said you're kings, lords, and priests. Now, I wonder how a king conducts business. I'm just curious. How does a king conduct business? Rule, reign, dominion, ownership. Rule, reign, 
dominion, ownership, authority. Your kings, your lords, your priests. Walk in your authority. Walk in your dominion. Don't let the devil rule over you one more day. He has no authority over you. Kings don't let people run over them. You're kings. You might just have to tell yourself that. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing. See? See, maybe you don't believe it right now. Just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. Over and over again. Just throughout the day, just remind yourself, I'm a king. Walk into a place and just remind yourself, I'm a king. I'm a king. As a matter of fact, you got to understand, you technically, you have legal authority to walk into the place and announce yourself. <laughs> you can do that because you're a king. The Bible actually says you're a king. Tell the whole world you're a king. That's what you are. You're kings. I'm looking at kings. Act like kings. We'll have to find more out about kings next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.